All right, this is a stretch, but have any of you ever seen like the, the workout commercials for like P90X or Insanity or anything like that? Right, okay, so you know then it's like three minutes of like ridiculous like body transformation, right? But behind all of that excellent marketing, you have two very simple things, working out and eating right. And the reality is that if you do those two things, you will see results. The problem, of course, is that no one actually wants to do those two things, right? It's very difficult to convince yourself that an orange slice is a better dessert than a brownie. It is very difficult to convince yourself to roll out of bed when every muscle is sore just to do it again when you would much rather stay in that nice, comfortable, warm bed than sleep another 45 minutes. And what happens is we just kind of become complacent. We look at ourselves in the mirror and say, it's gotten me this far, I'm fine. Uh, and, and that's often how we are with the sanctification process. Um, we like the thought of change, right? This whole uh, uh, becoming who we are in Christ, you know, that sounds good. Especially if you go to like a Christian summer camp or a mission trip, you'll come home like, yeah, I want this, let's do this. But then you realize it's work, right? It is, it is difficult work to make these things happen. And so we just kind of table it. We kind of go, meh, I guess I'm okay. Uh, so uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we are actually trying to answer this question. We believe, now what? What are we as Christians supposed to be doing after we accept Jesus as our Savior and King? And, and if you are here last week, uh, you might remember that uh, we said we're supposed to be about this big word called sanctification, which means the process by which we are made holy, or, or um, the process by which we become who we now are in Jesus, the identity that he gives us. A and this process is a partnership between us and God. Uh, and there, are, there are, are things that we as Christians need to be doing. There's work that we need to put in. A and so tonight we're going to look at just the bare bones of that work. They really actually make up the backbone. Uh, and that is two very basic practices or basic disciplines, scripture reading and prayer. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, yes, Caleb, we know reading the Bible is important. Praying is important. We know this. Yeah. We also know that working out and eating right is important. But very few of us actually do it. Uh, see, there, there are things that we just naturally recoil against these type of disciplines. And so what we're going to do uh, in the next 15 minutes or so is, is we're going to look at each one of these disciplines, scripture reading and prayer, and we're going to draw out three things. We're going to look at the principle, why we should do these things. We're going to look at the practice, how can we do these, in a very simple way. Uh, and then the, um, the provision for doing these things. Each one of us doesn't want to do these things. How does the gospel help us there, right? And so uh, let's start with, with Bible reading. A and and to, to talk about that, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21. So James 1, starting in verse 21. And as you turn there or scroll there, um, let me just give you the context of what James is talking about. So he's answering the question, how do we live a life that is pleasing to God and will be blessed by him? Right? And so this is James's answer. Um, James chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Um, 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And the principle of this passage is simply this, that, that scripture is the essential component, is the key to living a life that's pleasing to God. And this text tells us that there are, are two things, two ways that we need to be interacting with God's word. One is simply to read it, right? Uh, look at verse 21. It says, therefore, um, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We need to be hearing or reading the word of God. We need to make a habit of it. And here's why that's so important. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, when we read scripture, it both chips away at the things that should not be there, and it strengthens and reinforces the things that should be there. Um, think of it, so the way that scripture often talks about itself is actually, it's kind of like food. Right? So when you eat food, when you consume it, it nourishes and it, it builds you up, right? Uh, scripture functions the same way. It is spiritual food, which is why it's so important of developing a habit of regularly reading God's word. Because if you only open the Bible when I ask you to, or when Pastor Austin asks you to, you are spiritually starving yourself, right? No one can live on one meal or two meals a week. You have to consume more than that. In the same way, we will not grow spiritually if we are not regularly consuming, reading God's word. But here's what happens. We go off to summer camp or, or something like that, and we're like, yeah, I need to read my Bible more. You're right, Caleb. I need to do this. And so we'll carve out like a, a half hour or 45 minutes. We'll wake up super early and try to read our Bible. And, and you kind of stick with it for a week, maybe two weeks, and then you just kind of fizzle out because of the immensity of the task. And that's because it, it, it's like you have just fasted for a while, and then you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and just pig out. The only thing that will happen if you do that is you will throw up, right? Your body can't handle going from nothing to everything. In the same way, spiritually, we almost have to build up a hearty diet. And, and so all I'm simply saying is this. If you are unfamiliar with reading scripture, if you don't have the habit in place, right, start small. Five minutes a day, a chapter a day. Build up a heartier diet because the more, uh, if you start small and the more you consume, the more you will have a hunger for it, right? point is simply this. If we want to grow, we have to be reading scripture. We have to be in God's word. But reading it, 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 it is not just enough, right? It, you'll notice that most of this text is actually about doing what we hear or what we read. Um, 
And the illustration that James uses is that of a mirror. Mirrors are very unforgiving things, aren't they? Because mirrors show us that we are not as good looking as, or as athletic or whatever, as the people we see on TV. It's not like a photo, right? So if, if it's picture day, or you're going to take a Christmas family photo, right? You normally put some thought into how you're going to look, right? You might actually style your hair. You might not show up in joggers and a t-shirt, right? You, because you want to put the best self forward, right? You want to look better than you normally are. Photos are by nature deceptive because that's not really us, right? Scripture is not a photo. Scripture is a mirror. Scripture will show you the good, the bad, and the ugly about you. It will reveal things that you would rather not see. It will illuminate parts of your life that you would rather keep hidden and not work on. But this is how we are to engage in God's word, to, to read it with the end goal of putting it into practice. And to do that, our minds have to be engaged, right? And there's a number of ways you can do that. Uh, one of the simplest is simply asking questions as you read. Whole host of questions you can ask. Let me give you three very simple ones. What does this text teach me about God? What do I see about God, his character, his, uh, his interaction with me or with humans? Um, second, what does this passage teach me about me? What does it say about humanity? What, what blind spots does it illuminate for us? And then what would God have me do or change because of this, because of what I've read? And if you engage with Scripture, if you actually have your eye set on doing what it says, it will unearth stuff that you wish you had never seen. Um, it, it, it is painful at times to see who we really are. And this is one of the reasons that we don't read Scripture, because it is too painful to actually see how short we have fallen. But this is where understanding the gospel actually helps us. It's the provision for, 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 for doing this discipline. Um, how, can we, how can we ever look at ourselves and see that we are worse than we ever thought? By grasping that God loves us more than we could ever imagine. See, the more that we understand that God loves us, that we are his loved and accepted child, the more uh, we are able to look at ourselves and see the things that need to be changed. The more we understand that God's love for us will never change, the more we are willing to see things that God needs to change in us. And so we have to hold up the mirror of Scripture to our lives if we're going to grow into our identity in Christ. That's one of the disciplines. The other one is prayer. Uh, and for that one, we have to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 5, and this is Jesus uh, teaching on the subject of prayer. Uh, and, and in the first couple verses of this section, so that would be 5 through 8, uh, Jesus explains to us how we should not pray. Okay? So this is what he says. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, 
for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so he presents two different groups of people, but they're both doing the same thing. They're trying to use prayer as a tool of manipulation. They're trying to use it to control and manipulate someone. Um, the first group of people, the, the hypocrites, are the super religious people of Jesus' day. And what they would do is they would stand on the street corners, very visible, hands outstretched, praying loudly, and they were trying to manipulate the people. They wanted the people to see them and say, wow, look at that super spiritual person. God must really love him. Listen to how long he's praying. Listen to those words. I want to be like him. They're trying to manipulate the opinions of the people to build themselves up. And Jesus says that's absolutely worthless. Likewise, uh, verses 7 through 8, Jesus looks at the Gentiles. Those were the non-Jewish people. And the way that they would pray is they would pray on and on and on. They would literally babble to the gods in an attempt to manipulate them. Perhaps you have done this to your parents. There's something you want. And so you ask them and you ask them and you ask them until you wear them down to the point that they will give it to you so that you leave them alone. It's manipulation. And that's what they were trying to do to the gods. Pester them until they got what they wanted. Both were trying to use prayer as a tool of manipulation and control. And Jesus says that's not what prayer is for. Prayer is actually a declaration of dependence. Uh, he, he tells us this is how we should pray, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice that there's really only two things that we're praying for here. We are praising God and we are petitioning or, or, or making requests of God. Both of those things are declarations of dependence. The petition part is pretty easy to see that, right? Like if, if, you, um, if you ask someone for something, you are dependent on that person for something. You need them to do something for you, right? Like if, if you ask me to read something on the top shelf in the kitchen, it's because you can't reach it yourself, right? You're dependent on me f uh, to do that. Um, but praise is, is actually kind of the same thing. Right? Whenever we, we praise Le LeBron James for being such a great basketball player, we are admitting that only he can play the way he does, right? that he's on a whole other level. And that's what we're doing with God. That's what this, uh, this old English word hallowed means. It means ultimate or supreme. When we praise God, we are declaring to him that he is the ultimate, he is supreme, and we are dependent on him. We are dependent on him for our most basic needs, for our forgiveness of sin, for guidance in living a life that's pleasing to him. And practically speaking, there's a number of ways that we can uh, pray to God, engage in this way. Uh, I, we could take each line of the Lord's Prayer and pray and expound on that. We could break it into two simple parts, praise and petition. I like threes, so I would say praise God, seek his pardon, and make your request or petition him, right? But just like reading the Bible, we often don't want to pray. At least not praying like this, right? We have no problem demanding things of God, but to confess our dependence and our need to him is something we don't want to do. And that's because we're independent people. 
we take offense at the fact that, that I couldn't be able to provide the most basic needs for myself or that I need God's help to live a life that's pleasing to him. We don't like the thought of losing control by acknowledging our dependence on God. But this is, once again, where grasping the gospel will help you. See, the problem that we, we have with relinquishing control to God is deep down we don't trust him. We trust ourselves and our care more than him and his care. But Paul tells us in Romans 8.32 that we have it backwards. He says this, uh, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you know how much God cared for you? He gave his son for you. If he gave his son for you, how will he not take care of all of your needs? See, see, the more we understand that we can entrust ourselves to God, that he has our best interest in mind, the more that we will gladly and joyfully declare our dependence on God, right? And, and so really, the, at the base of, all, of both of these things, we have to understand, got to get the gospel, right? We have to understand God's love for us, or we will never have the follow-through to put in the work. Now, guys, I, I know this is a ton of information, and I have just scratched the surface, so you're going to unpack this a little more in small groups, but even then, you won't touch the surface of this stuff. Um, but, but, but here's the point. In order to grow into your identity in Christ, you've got to put in the work. You've got to carve out the time to be reading Scripture, to be praying, to be declaring your dependence on God. And like any workout program, you can't just pick and choose the parts you like. You can't just say, well, I like these workouts, but I'm not going to do the other ones I don't like and eat healthy. you got to do the whole thing if you want to see the results. And so can I encourage you? Can I ch challenge you? Put in the work. It's worth it.